Lord, forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exists, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. Yeah, it does. I'm Tim. And I'm Marshall. Marshall, Marshall. Marshall, Marshall, Marshall. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I've heard that before. Oh, yeah? Many times, Tim, many times. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. You know what else is interesting? What else? Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Very interesting. Yeah. I, I was just thinking how... It fortuitous is the word I was going to use. <laughs> Maybe not. This is going to drop right around Easter. Oh, it is. Yeah. Is it going to drop week of Easter? Might be the week after. Nobody wants to hear this conversation. They know the answer that we're pondering right now. Yeah. Oh well, that's true. Yeah, but but could be a really useful kind of a thing, right? Like maybe mm-hmm. maybe you got together on Easter. Uh, with some family, and some people were like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Mm. And you're like, hey, remember that conversation we were having at Easter? Here's a thing to listen to. There you go, yeah. So today we're going to talk about the historicity of the resurrection. Is it a historically viable event? Mm. Right? So we talked last week about the historicity of Jesus as a person. Right. As a historical figure. Mm-hmm. But now we have something a little more difficult. A supernatural event that we're going to say, can it be historically verified? Or is this one of the things that in the Kierkegaard episode we talked about just requires a level of faith? Mm-hmm. Right? So why does this matter? Well... I think to answer that question, we can actually turn to Scripture to answer it. Mm -hmm. Um, Towards the end of Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, he writes in chapter 15, starting verse 12, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead aren't raised. Mm -hmm. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Two things from this. Mm. One, Paul's, I mean, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, absolutely mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there is no resurrection, the Christian faith is a joke. Yeah. All other all other evidences aside, the Christian faith becomes a joke. Yeah. If there's no resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, two, it also shows that this is not a new conversation. Right. Right? This is not something that people just came along and were like, hey, all of a sudden, we, we've talked about it over and over again, right? That concept of, I'm the first to ask the question, and so here's the question. And I bet you never thought about this before, but can you prove Jesus rose from the dead? <laughs> right. right, right. Paul says, if that were the case, this whole thing's a waste of time. Yeah, yeah, totally, right? He says, like, 
He says, look, look, if there's no, if there's no resurrection, then we have no hope of resurrection, right? And, and so if we don't have a, a hope that's beyond this life, mm-hmm. like if being a Christian is only a thing that matters for the here and now, like we should be pitied. Yeah. The, the issue with some of this, even, even those people who would recognize the historicity of Jesus, mm-hmm. even amongst secular scholars who will recognize, because we're going we're gonna to say more than once in here, the secular world in scholarship very much promotes the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? But with trepidations and from yeah. their heels. Because yeah, I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't describe it the way you did, but... Because it's supernatural. Right, that's... Yeah, so... Yeah, so what we're, de- what we're dealing with, like this... The, the, they, I would say that they would stand on the historicity of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I would say most secular historians don't actually think Jesus rose from the dead. But the reason for that, because by applying the same, the same method, historical method, to Jesus' life and ministry and the resurrection, that why is it that they come to differing conclusions? Why is it that they say... Yeah, for sure, Jesus lived. For sure, he was a, a great teacher. For sure, he, you know, he did things that impressed people. And for sure, he was, you know, executed under Pontius Pilate. But did he actually come back from the dead? Secular scholars are going to have an issue with that. I'm going to say there. I'm going to say scholarship is torn. Sure, but I'm talking about non non believers. No, agreed. Right, right? agreed. I and, would say non believing scholarship is yeah. torn because in in my work, I came across a lot of sources. Mm-hmm. Probably, probably the most accessible, and it, it's incredibly done. There's a a group on YouTube that does a channel called Infographics. Okay, yeah. Infographics is one they're doing a, a fairly decent coverage of the Ukrainian Russian war. Mm-hmm. Uh. Not perfect, I would say, but good. Sure. Their coverage of did Jesus resurrect from the dead is really commendable. Was there a conclusion that he did, in fact, rise from the dead, though? Yeah. Really? Right. Wow. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not necessarily going to be the case all around. Though. No, but I, but I've also seen lectures given by yeah. secular uh, secular authorities who say, it does the, the conclusion the conclusion from the secular authority who would commend it would say all evidence points in that direction what it means is up for debate right Something whether or not happened. he's whether or not he's the son of god to right. take away our sins right. is up for debate but there is no historical basis for which we can cleanly state he did not right right so i've i've heard that stated through the years, a number of times by various secular scholars. Yeah. Um, so, so my my statement would be: I think the the academic world is torn. Mm-hmm. Although, in mass, you're probably just going to have more people who are agnostic mm-hmm. uh, than not on the matter, because supernatural is a difficult thing to support mm-hmm. from a naturalistic worldview. Yeah. Yeah, that means it's a it's a yeah. It's a worldview it's a worldview issue, right. right? So why is it that some people can apply the same methodology to 
the life of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and come to one conclusion of Jesus definitely existed, but did he rise from the dead? Well, something happened, something significant happened, but we don't really know. Because the majority mm-hmm. of secular scholars I looked at would would not plant a flag, mm-hmm. right? They would not plant a flag on, on, the, is, on the literal resurrection of which Jesus. Which is very telling. No, it is telling, but it's because they, their worldview can't get them there. Right. Because a naturalistic worldview says that there are laws in nature that cannot be violated, right? It, it kind of starts with, um, with Hume. Uh, back in like the 1700s, I think, right? Just this idea that like miracles are impossible because mm-hmm. there are laws of nature and you cannot violate those laws. It's impossible. Which is fantastic because to sum that up, you would say it would take a miracle for a miracle to take place. Right, <laughs> right essentially, yeah. In order for there to be miracles, there would have to be miracles. Right. But the same is true for cats. In order for there to be cats, there would have to be cats. Right. <laughs> Here's the thing. So whether or not... You believe in miracles, or you believe in miracles as part of history. It has less to do with the evidence available and more to do with your worldview, right? Mm-hmm. It's about the beliefs that you're bringing to the table, not what is actually on the table. Right. And anyone who would come to this and say, because you long to believe in the miraculous, mm-hmm. or do believe in the miraculous, or yourself are a Christian, you're going to be swaying the information mm-hmm. into your favor based on your worldview. Mm-hmm. I would say that is a mutually viable criticism. Yeah. So, for instance, uh, Bart Ehrman swears that the New Testament writings came between 70 and 90 AD. Why? Because Jesus in the Gospels, predicts the destruction of the temple, which took place. So, they need to write into Jesus' teaching this major historical event, Mm -hmm. right? Because how could Jesus have known that that would be true? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right? And so, his entire evidence Mm -hmm. is based on his naturalistic worldview. Right. A man cannot know ahead of time what will come to pass, so it must be that these are later entries. Right. Right? Whereas we would say, if if the New Testament authors really wanted to get their point across, if Matthew really wanted to speak to the Jews, he would not only have entered Jesus's statements about the destruction of the temple, he would have said, and these things came to pass. Right. As he does in other areas where mm-hmm. where they will say things like, the disciples didn't understand this until after the resurrection. Right. Right? And so that sort of thing, he would have said, see, Jesus said these things and they came to pass. Mm-hmm. The lack of evidence there tells me, or the lack of statements like that tells me, no, these took these were written beforehand, mm-hmm. and it came to pass. Yeah, is it supernatural? One hundred percent. But I'm okay with that. Right. Right. Whereas he's going to sway the evidence and say, whatever it is, it can't be that because that would require the supernatural. Yeah. So yeah. so it's not it's you you can't just come at it and say, well, Christians are affected because of what they believe to be true. Everyone is affected by what they believe to be true. The question then comes down to. Do we believe based on evidence or in spite of evidence? Right, right. Yeah, and so, yeah, that's that's a that's a good thing to get into. Um, that's why I said it. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah. So we have, I mean, here's the thing. So for anyone who believes in a creator, okay, not just Christians, but anyone who believes in even an in intelligent design, you have the philosophical foundations you need to acknowledge the possibility of the maker of the laws of nature suspending those laws or mm-hmm. or operating it in, in his own way because a creator is not going to be bound by his creation. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that, that we just need to like... We, and we've spent enough time arguing for why, why a creator, God, is reasonable and rational. Okay? We spent a month doing that. Right. Um, and so... While most historians who've studied Jesus will at least admit that Jesus did things that people perceived as miracles, right? They'll, they'll say that, even if they can't bring themselves to believe that they were, right? And this, obviously, is going to talk, we're going to talk about the resurrection. Because when it comes to the resurrection, we have to start thinking about, okay, what, what kind of evidence is there for the resurrection? And there's different kinds of evidence, mm-hmm. Right. What we're not going to find a lot of, or any of, potentially, is the scientific evidence. Right. Right? There is no corpse to be found. Right? Now, the one exception to the whether or not there's scientific evidence is something called the Shroud of Turin. Mm -hmm. I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole on this one. Mm -hmm. It was discovered, I think, in the 1500s. It's at some monastery in Turin in Italy. Um They've submitted portions of this this cloth that looks like it has the face of a man who's you know experienced all these. Who wounds. looks like Da Vinci's version version of Jesus, of Jesus yep. right? You know, he's got a beard and you know. Anyways, the one the one that hung over your in your grandmother's living <laughs> right. or dining room for right. a while, right? Right. So so I'm not going to plant a firm flag on the shroud of Turin. They did no. some initial carbon dating, and they said, "Oh no, this thing is not old enough." And then they did a different kind of test to it more recently, that's supposed to be more accurate. And they said, "No, no, this is first century, and it's got pollen from the Middle East on it." And here's the thing, I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, the Catholic Church wants to defend its legitimacy because it's venerated as a holy relic, which I'd say even if the Shroud of Turin is real, that's cool. That's sweet. But like it the, the drive behind proving its authenticity is is in order to drive people to a sinful act. So I'm not like that jazzed about it mm-hmm. one way or another. Yeah, it, and this is this is a very Catholic thing. The oh, yeah. the whole having of the relics, right? The the keeping of the relics with the relic comes one evidence of the fact because we have the thing. Right. Uh, two, some special power. I love the commentaries of John Christosom. Mm. He is such a beautiful writer. The Eastern Church, fourth century incredible ways of wording things in the scripture. He's also a big part of this. Oh yeah. <laughs> this come about uh this notion that that a special presence of God comes in the physical presence of relics. Mm-hmm. Uh not as not his best day. Um, yeah, it was but, in part the 
it see this is what happens when it's an overcorrection against a different kind of error. Yeah. Because the early church was combating against Gnostics who said anything physical is bad and the spiritual is good and it's a sharp line between that. And so what the church what some of these church fathers did in response is they would say, No, like Jesus had a physical body, there was a physical resurrection, all of these things. But then in order to push even further back, like to push push back more than they needed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they get into, you know, the holiness of physical objects being, you know, worthy of, you know, Catholic Church wouldn't call it worship. They'd call it reverence. It's the same thing. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just one of these one of these examples of in history of of an overcorrection against a problem, a different kind of problem. So. Right. And, and, and the thing that I would add to the the lack of scientific evidence is that we're not talking about a scientific people. No, the. The concept, the scientific method, the use of science to understand the world is something that comes around much later. Yeah. Right? There's observation, cosmology, medicine, things like that going on. But but the idea of forming a worldview around science mm. comes 1,500 years after this. Sure. Now, we would argue that you can use science to register other events like creation. Mm. Uh, but I, I also think there's a difference between something that is such a massive event, this is going to come off way wrong, and something that's a micro event. Sure. Not micro in its significance. Yeah. Uh, but it is very isolated mm-hmm. to a specific tomb in Palestine. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't have ripple effects in the way that it changes the physical world so that it can be physically observed. Yeah, exactly. Right? So there is no scientific evidence for or against. Mm-hmm. That does not play in anyone's favor. Yeah. And therefore it plays against no one. Yeah. And we have to like understand that in our in our modern culture, you know, we've been we've been raised on those like C- CSI detective shows. Yep. Where like there's always a scrap of DNA or something about the ballistics of the gun that are going to mm-hmm. like crack the case, right? And that's true. And like we have these methods now, you know, in in a court of law that if that kind of stuff exists, you can use it to settle a case to some degree. But many, if not most, court cases aren't settled by scientific evidence. No. Like. We act as though it is, but it's not. Like most of the time, what you're these decisions are being settled by corroborating testimony, right? It's the witnesses who supply the evidence required to make a judgment one way or another. Mm-hmm. And so, when we're looking at the resurrection, we're looking at historical evidence, and the ho- historical evidence that's given primarily through testimony, right? Right. And so, there are factors. When you're looking at testimony being your primary source of evidence, there's factors that make it good or not so good, mm-hmm. right? And in this case, in this historical sense, the factors are, is it is it early evidence? Is it widespread? Is it credible? These are the kinds of questions we want to, we want to ask of it, right? Um, and and I, I think kind of jumping off of something you said earlier in regards to how we define faith it made me think of uh, Thomas. Thomas is kind of the guy asking for scientific evidence sure. <laughs> for the resurrection. Yeah. He's like, unless I see it and touch it myself, um, you know, I'm not going to believe. And then Jesus says, you know, blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. Mm-hmm. But Jesus isn't saying there that, you know, that what what the goal is, is, is believing without any kind of evidence. It just means believing on evidence that isn't always based on personal 
experience. Right. Right. That's that's what it is. It's, faith isn't just believing in something that contradicts evidence. It's believing in something based on things like evidence and testimony and authority. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the evidences that we do have. First one's the empty tomb. Empty tomb. Yeah. Right? Is this something that Christians just believe in? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we know we know not just from the Bible itself, mm-hmm. but also from Roman correspondence that the opponents of the Christians claim that the body of Jesus was stolen. Right. Right? So so we have references to this this rumor that the body was stolen from from other historical references. Now the origins of that rumor are recorded in in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. But but even if we set the the scriptural account aside, which I don't think we have to because we've done we've done enough work proving that the Bible is a reliable historical source. But let's for the sake of the argument set it aside. Just from that alone, we know that there is there's really no doubt that the tomb was in fact empty. Right. Right? One way or another it was empty because if it wasn't empty, then the Sanhedrin would have just simply used Jesus' rotting corpse as proof that he was still dead. Right. No, look, here he is. Your movement's a joke. You're, you're all telling lies. But they didn't do that. Right. So e- even like w- when you get into Acts and you have Peter and the other disciples who are preaching and they're telling him, be quiet. Mm-hmm. Stop this. Just go open the tomb. Yeah. Be like, look, it's empty. Stop wasting your time. Yeah, yeah. Now there's there's arguments about how it was emptied that I think we'll touch on before we're, we're through. But another interesting thing about the, the whole empty tomb experience is one argument actually historically as we look back that's actually in favor of the empty tomb is the fact that we that in scripture it's recorded as being found by women. Now. It helps the case primarily because it wouldn't have helped the case then. Mm-hmm. Here's what I mean by that. A woman's testimony in that time, in that culture, just wasn't really taken seriously in court. It was considered a fraction of the testimony of a man. Right. So if you're going to make up a story about a tomb being found empty, you wouldn't include women in the story. No. If you're going to make it up, you're not. That, was, that would be silly. To do that. Yeah, and if you were going to make it up as a late record, mm-hmm. you would most likely use people other than the people most deeply entrenched in the movement. Right. Right? There would have been the use of uh, maybe a, a deceased local leader mm. who couldn't refute the claim, right? but would be someone respected. Right. Pilot saw it. Right. Right. Or something like that. Right. And and so the only motivation, the only reasonable motivation to include this scene of women coming to the tomb and finding it empty, the only reasonable motivation would be to accurately record the facts despite it being a cultural embarrassment. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so that the tomb could be proved to be filled is a major point. Right, mm. it could have. It could not. Not only would could the Jews have done it, Pilate could have done it. Right. Uh, the argument within the Book of Matthew is that those who were on guard are in trouble, likely with big trouble with the uh, the Roman uh, the Roman leaders, and they offer a cover. Mm. Hey, if this happens, we've got you on this. Just make it go away. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so not only do the Jews have reason to do this, the Romans have reason to say, see this, stop, stop. Even, even later with Nero, mm. Nero would have loved to push that rock out of the way and been like, guys, stop. Mm-hmm. Look, here's the body of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Just stop. Right. Right? Yep. So to argue that the tomb wasn't empty, doesn't stand, because those who could have proved that it wasn't empty mm. have too much to lose. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And so in addition to the empty tomb, there's also just the the testimony of the people, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the testimony of the people who saw Jesus post-resurrection, right? Paul tells us in Corinthians that Christ didn't just appear to the 12, but he appeared to others and actually to over 500 people at the same time. Mm -hmm. There are, I think, 11 separate appearances of Christ that are referenced in the Gospels and and throughout the New Testament. So within that kind of 40-day period, we're, we're looking at 11 different times Jesus appears to different numbers of people in different places, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and the thing is like, it's really early evidence that this is what their testimony was. So, right. so Paul, so Paul does something now, Paul is writing, you know, maybe in the forties or fifties. Right. Mm-hmm. But he writes, um, he writes, um, for I deliver, delivered to you as a first importance, what I also received and in your Bible, if you see that, then all of a sudden the next couple of verses are going to be in a different section, like in a different paragraph. It's going to say that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared, and it goes on to talk about his appearance to, to um, the 12 and so on and so forth. And what Paul is doing is Paul is repeating something that is actually earlier. Mm-hmm. So Paul, that's not the, what, what he's writing there is not something that, he, that he's just being inspired to write in that moment. He's, it's a creed. It's, it's a thing that the early church repeated over and over again. So he's reminding them of a thing that was, that was held by the church from even before the time he was writing, which right. was already really early by historical standards. In the same way that someone might quote uh, the Nicene Creed in mm-hmm. a sermon, Mm-hmm. or the a, a line of a hymn, mm-hmm. right? Right. It shows a previous understanding that has been held and would be familiar, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's not presenting to them new information. He's trying to cause them to recall mm-hmm. what they know. Yeah, and, and it would be, but it's, it's so, con, it's contemporary. It's, it's pointing to something that is like, that is already held within that community that people know, like it's not, he's not, doing something ancient. He's doing something that's like, this is a thing the community knows. It'd be like you or I getting up on a Sunday and reminding the church that our that our um, mission statement is the gospel of Christ in us and through us. Right. right? Like and, it's it's that. It's that kind of thing. And this is this is where where we, we take a, a real problem with uh, people like Ehrman who make the argument that uh, the witness of the gospels even even with his dating, let's just for a moment take his dating between 70 and 90. Okay. okay? He says that is around 60 years after the event. It is too far removed to be considered viable. Mm. Right? A couple of problems with it. Most people write their memoirs at the end of life. 
mm-hmm. right? That the apostles who penned the Gospels would wait and pin these things down later is not surprising. Right. Right? <laughs> that, there is no record of the church going, this is very different from what we've been talking about all along. Mm-hmm. There's there's zero record of this, secular or Christian. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, which is which is also telling that the notion that these witnesses are corrupt because there is a massive gap of 60 years between the event and the record giving his dates yeah i would argue 30 years at the most yep yeah some of them some of them 20 so so even given his date 60 years is not a massive gap mm-hmm. that is terrible historical practice. Mm -hmm. 60 years is journalism Mm -hmm. in the concept of ancient history. Right. Right. Uh, And and, and that people, this is such a significant thing. You you might get the color of Jesus's robe on a given day wrong 60 years later. Mm. How on earth would you accidentally go, wait, now that I think about it, he did rise from the dead. Yeah. And we've based our entire lives on this. <laughs> and right? hundreds of people saw him. We're, we're going to talk. I, I'm, we're going to get into that. There's so much struggle because we're going to talk about the pros, and then later we're going to talk about refutations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I know I'm straying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the witness of the people, that, that's just to say, the witness of the people is contemporaneous, mm-hmm. and it is a powerful witness mm-hmm. that uh, shows change in people from the beginning yep right yep. yeah it was it was foundational the resurrection of jesus was foundational teaching from the very beginning mm-hmm. from before even the gospels were written from before paul's missionary journeys mm-hmm. the resurrection of jesus was was a core christian teaching and something that um well this kind of leads into the next thing the the rapid and expansive uh rise of christianity and right. spread of christianity Right, so that Paul could write to churches thousands of miles away, talking about the resurrection, and he's not blowing their minds. They, they, this is this is the news that had come to them, right? Either he brought it himself, or if someone else, you know, if the the church had already spread that far by the time he's writing to them. Mm-hmm. Like they know this because this is not a novel idea. This is something that they they've held to. But I think yeah, the 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 rapid growth and the expansive growth of the church is fascinating. Right. Because it grows from a Jewish movement, Mm -hmm. right? All of the early church are Jews, and it's from within the Jewish community that you have this immediate shift, right? Not a prolonged shift, Mm. not a, a variation of teaching, that rises over hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And and in the Jewish tradition, not shifts that are so tied to a single teacher. Mm. Right? So we have various sects of Judaism. Sure. Yeah. None of them are named for their leader. Mm. Right? Because that just would not be allowed within Judaism for any one person to become the name by which their movement has moved. Um, almost immediately, we see uh, kurios being used for Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Which is the the Greek word for Lord, mm-hmm. 
reserved only for God mm-hmm. in in the sense that it's used. Sure, right. there are secular versions of kurios. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to use it in a sacred text is... Right. Yeah. Contextually, there are no other options, right, for, for how this could be done except to say that this is... This is in reverence to the deity mm-hmm. of this particular being. Uh, in the argument that all of Scripture is written before 70 AD, even if you want to give 90, I don't, but that the book of Hebrews is already talking to people who have raised up in the Christian faith and are starting to wonder from, mm-hmm. tells you how early yeah. this is adopted in such a powerful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is it is an overnight success. Yeah. He, in think the, of Timothy. So Timothy yeah. was raised, and it was, it was it, from, from childhood, he was taught the Christian faith by his mother and grandmother. Timothy's Greek, and I can't recall exactly where he's from, but it's not from Judea. Mm-hmm. So, so we have, by the time Paul's writing to them, he's a young man who has spent his entire life under Christian teaching, which means it had already gotten to this Gentile place mm-hmm. and the conversions had happened and he'd been raised up in it. Yeah. Like it's like, so it's, it's not, again, it's, this is a big, big movement by the time the gospels are being written. And it's based on an event that should have squandered the movement. Right. That Jesus claimed that if they tore down this temple, they would rebuild it in three days. That he was then put to death by the Jews should have been an embarrassment to the movement. Mm. It should have brought an end to everything, right? The apostles should be like, this is it. We're done. We believed in this guy. He's dead. He's gone. Uh, He said he was going to do something for us, but how can we even trust that? We're struggling to believe. No one else is going to believe. Other people throughout history had come claiming to be the Messiah Mm -hmm. and had been put to death for those claims. Mm -hmm. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, there's this really great conversation where the apostles' teachings are being discussed by the Jews mm. publicly at the temple, and they're infuriated, right? Acts 5.33 says, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Mm. Those pronouns refer to this being the gospel presented by the apostles. Uh, they, being the Jewish leaders, wanted to kill them, the apostles who were preaching. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel a teacher of the law held in, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men about 400 joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him, 
he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. Mm -hmm. Favorite word. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. (laughs) For a little while anyways. Right. (laughs) And so so that's just to say... Yeah. uh, these movement this this wasn't an unprecedented movement. No. And it's recorded by the Jews mm-hmm. spoken here by Gamaliel that this was not an unprecedented movement. Right. It or this should, type of thing was not unprecedented. Right. Yeah. It should have ended the way that it ended. But the opposite happens. Mm-hmm. Rather than the people being scattered and it coming to nothing, mm-hmm. it is inflamed and becomes something. Oh yeah. And so that has to have a catalyst, mm-hmm. right? And, and a false claim on, by the witness of the people that still at that point, 60 years later, you can still open a tomb, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Uh, at that point, it, it just doesn't make sense that uh, the, it doesn't make sense that the tomb is empty or that the witness of the people was false, lately applied, or uh, something sort of fabricated generations on. Right, 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 right. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the other thing which is really interesting is who Jesus appeared to. So mm-hmm. he appears to the the women, he appears to the disciples, he appears to this group of 500 of the brothers at some point, um, we don't exactly know where, but but he also appears to people you wouldn't necessarily expect, and I think this is really significant because, well, first let's talk about Jesus' appearance to James, his half brother. Mm-hmm. Right, we read about Jesus' brothers on a couple of occasions in the Gospels, and we find out from John seven uh, that his brothers did not believe in him, in in Mark three. His brothers actually try to shut Jesus up and, and mm-hmm. claim that he's crazy. He's out of his mind. They're trying to stop him from being, you know, probably executed by the people for making the claims of divinity or, or as the Messiah. But then all of a sudden, after the resurrection, James doesn't just become a believer. He becomes a prominent leader in the early church and ends up right. actually being martyred for his faith eventually. Right. Not James, the son of Zebedee. Nope. He dies too, but that's, he dies earlier. Yeah, but but yeah, then then this James becomes the recognized leader of the church as history records. So what changed his mind? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, the resurrection did. Right, right. On Earth, when, when Jesus is on Earth, he doesn't believe. Mm-hmm. He's frustrated by it. Can you imagine having Jesus for an older brother, oh, like man. on just the day to day? Sibling frustration. <laughs> Going to your mom and being like, Jesus never gets in trouble for anything. You think he's perfect. <laughs> and Mary being like, in fact, I do. <sighs> yeah. Oh, man. No, it's true. But, but that, he would, 
that someone so close mm-hmm. would completely change his mind, again, mm-hmm. requires a catalyst. Yeah, for sure. What changed the mind of James? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and and the other the other person he appears to, I think, is probably one of the most significant mm-hmm. um, appearances, and and probably strengthens the the claim of the re- resurrection even more, is that he didn't just appear to his followers or his family members. He actually appeared to an enemy of his followers, Saul, on the road to Damascus, who ends up becoming the apostle Paul. And, and can I can I just throw something in? Yeah, sure. God doesn't change his name from Saul to Paul yeah, at he, conversion. He changes it. That's that's something that happens a couple of times in Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And and there's a thing with Peter where yep. Jesus does a thing. Um, it, it doesn't happen. Saul, he, he's still called Saul a couple of times after his conversion, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it just sort of like slowly stops being one and starts becoming the other. There are theories on it, but mm-hmm. I, I just want to put that to rest. Yeah, yeah fair enough. Um, in... Jesus' appearance to Paul, and we don't get an exact date in the timeline, but it, it probably happens only like a year or two after Jesus' resurrection, mm-hmm. right? But by that point, the movement has spread so much that they're trying to squash it, and 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 Saul himself is kind of leading the charge. And he writes in Galatians, uh, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. When, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So, okay, so Paul isn't going into detail about... He doesn't go into detail about his persecution of the Christians, mm-hmm. and he doesn't go into detail about his um, conversion experience. Why? Because the people already know about it, mm-hmm. right? So, so, so essentially, what Paul Paul isn't giving all those details because it, it, they'd already heard of his former life and his conversion. Word had spread significantly, right? That this thing had happened years before Luke records Paul's conversion on kind of three different occasions because, well, he's recording Paul sharing his experience right. in, the, in the book of Acts. Right. And each time there's, you know, different details. Like Paul tells his own story slightly differently, not in conflicting ways, but just as you would, right? If I told someone about something significant in my own life, or I was giving my own testimony, I'm not going to give it word for word the same each time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's because even Luke, as he's recording recording this, and as, you know, this is something that has circulated. Like, this is something that is known. Like, Paul's testimony is known. It, 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 it's, it's, it's widely known. And after his conversion, Paul then devotes his entire life to sharing the good news and bases a lot of his doctrinal t- teaching on the resurrection itself. And, and while he doesn't write a gospel account like Matthew or Mark, he like he corroborates a lot of the details that come from the gospels. Mm-hmm. And this is all based on his experience, his witness of a, re- of the resurrected Christ, right? Like this is, this is not some like 
that has to be some a very, very significant thing for him to pull a 180, right? Like this guy was known. He was known abroad. He was known outside of Judea. Mm-hmm. He was an up-and-comer, a rising star within the Jewish community. Yeah, right? and in fact, when he's, when he's making an appeal to the Jews around him in Acts 22, he, he makes the appeal based on his credentials and how zealous he has been mm-hmm. for the law and how among them he has been, right? He, he's, he's sort of doing a whole like, hey, you remember me? Remember when we did the thing? And, and you remember like pointing out these things? Uh, this is what he says in verse three. I'm a Jew, right? Mm-hmm. It, the point there to say, what, what gain do I have in this, mm-hmm. right? If I were to go back to the nationalistic view of Judaism, I have so much to gain, mm-hmm. right? Bringing Gentiles in as equals is, is not something that I need to do. I'm a Jew, right? I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Mm-hmm. Right, raised in Jerusalem. You guys know me. Sure, I was born in Tarsus, but I w- I grew up here mm-hmm. with you. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel. <laughs> Where have we heard that name? When's yeah. the last time you used Gamaliel twice in one day? <laughs> That's great. In order to say the man who, in chapter five, you have said is well respected by everyone to the point that he turned the tide of the Sanhedrin mm-hmm. who were ready to chuck the disciples. I, I was his disciple. Mm-hmm. I sat at his feet. I was educated by him in a strict manner according to the law of our fathers and was zealous for God as you are to this day. Mm-hmm. Right? So he, he identifies with them in order to say, I don't have, I don't have anything to gain mm-hmm. from walking out on this. Um, the interesting thing about James and Paul both is that their martyrdoms are not restricted to church history. Right. We claim that, church history claims, that all of the apostles, give or take John, however you interpret John's death uh, in exile— were, were martyred for their faith. Church historians have recorded this, but secular historians have recorded Paul and James. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So for them to choose a path that humbles them, for Paul costing him all that could have been, and carrying that to their grave mm-hmm. without refutation... And that being recorded by church and secular histories, that's that's pretty ironclad right there. Yeah. And that which leads us into the this whole idea of like the sincerity of the claims of those mm-hmm. who, who who witnessed the resurrected Christ, right? Like and and Paul Paul kind of maybe had the most to lose, right? A oh, lot yeah. of the disciples, like, you know, a lot of them were not in you know, they were not from the upper echelons of society necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so for them becoming kind of outlaws, it was still a significant step down, but it wasn't, it wasn't the fall like Paul had right. from this position of prestige and privilege in society, mm-hmm. right? Like an up, an up and comer, 
under like learning under the number one guy, ready to take over amongst the you know one of the most powerful factions within his nation, to on the run, having to escape under the cover of darkness, being arrested and beaten up, and ultimately executed, losing all his property, losing all of his his influence. Right, like this this lends itself to the authenticity of these claims that they saw Jesus resurrected. Right, believing. In the resurrection, believing in the gospel resulted in being, like, for for pretty much everyone, ostracized by society and ridiculed by your peers. Right. For a lot of people, loss of property, loss of business, beatings, many of them imprisoned, and some of them death. Mm-hmm. Like, that is, that is how it worked. Right. Right? So... Multiple people who claim to be eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ died for their faith. We know right we know from like you said outside even the the bible itself james paul peter etc right and and this is where i saw a fantastic interview i have talked about it before uh it it's mark driscoll i'll just throw the name out sure but mark driscoll back in the day okay right yeah, yeah. uh whatever whatever has come of him now this is brilliant. He he's talking with a panel and and one of the guys is like these people were fishermen, they were nobody. 2000 years later we know their names because they successfully pulled off the establishment of a new religion. And Driscoll's rebuttal is like but to what gain? They right. lost their lives. Right. And he's like, "Well, yeah, it backfired on them." And he's like, "No, no, no. The entire faith that they promoted was Die to yourself, right? In service to God. He's like, if if I'm creating a religion, it doesn't begin with die to yourself. Like sanctification would come through naps and chicken wings. That's what I want. Oh, I've heard that. I've heard that quote. Yeah, yeah. That's good. I want naps and chicken wings to be how I come to salvation. That feels good to me. Death is not what I want. Right. Right? And And it's such a beautiful point, right? There is no service to the flesh inside of this new Christian religion. What good is fame to a dead man, Mm -hmm. right? Look even at this. Even as Putin invaded Ukraine, there were a number of people, oligarchs, who were put in their position of extraordinary wealth Mm. by their relationship to Vladimir Putin, Mm -hmm. who instantly found themselves as international pariah. And what did you get? A mass disassociation, right? Not all, but a lot. A lot of these people disassociating from Russia, moving to properties they owned around the world, some of them having property seized, some of them turning it over, just speaking out against the war and all of these kinds of things. Why? I was only with you when I had something to gain. When I realized that there was nothing to gain, I bailed, Mm -hmm. as they should. Mm -hmm. If the apostles were following Jesus because they believed him to be the Messiah— he died and was buried, and that was it? They, they have nothing to gain, and the only right thing to do is to bail. Mm-hmm. 
to stay with something that you know to be a lie? Like, like the theory that he would have, the, the like, I, I don't want to get into all the other stuff, but it's okay. It's okay. Of stolen bodies, yeah, and falsely false accounts of empty tombs and stuff like that. Why carry that to your death? Yeah, to a public execution. Yeah, it's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for no one to break rank. Yeah, you know what I mean. Not a single one of them breaks rank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense unless. Unless this is of God. Right. <laughs> In which case, opposing it might find you opposing God. Exactly. In the words of Gamaliel. That's right. Yeah, like the conclusion, and I got a quote from one New Testament scholar and historian. His name is Ed Sanders. He actually passed away last year. He was an agnostic. Mm-hmm. Um, started as a Christian, became agnostic. He, he taught actually it for a little while at McMaster Divinity School, hence just another, add that to the reason, the list of reasons why I'm, I didn't go there. Um, even though it's touted as, you know, the premier institution. Um, he, he said, and this is a guy who does not believe, necess- he's agnostic on the resurrection, mm-hmm. he would say. He says, I do not regard deliberate fraud as a worthwhile explanation. Right? Mm-hmm. And this is a guy who's like, kind of, like his work is kind of undermining the historical approach the historical, the church's historical understanding of scripture and everything. Like, that's his life's work. His life's right. work is reinterpreting, reinventing the wheel. This is why Christianity's always had it wrong. They didn't understand Judaism. They didn't understand this. That, that's what he does. That's his thing. But even in that, he says, this thing can't be a fraud. That just doesn't make, it It literally doesn't make any sense. Right. That this would be made up, even though he's not really even willing to agree that the resurrection happened. Yeah, and that just goes back to the, to Kierkegaard, mm-hmm. right? Reason can only take you so far. Mm-hmm. He's able to reason this cannot be fraudulent mm-hmm. and would probably even argue not mistake. Very, I, I just say that because very, very, very few historians mm-hmm. believe in, in a mistake. Right. Made. <laughs> yeah. So so let's get into some of this, okay. these common refutations. So, yeah, so there's these arguments against the resurrection. We're going to kind of rapid fire a bunch of them and yeah. and just kind of briefly speak to them a lot of the answers for them are things we've already covered mm-hmm. so the first the one common one is uh, that they went to the wrong tomb the disciples and yeah. the women went to the wrong tomb uh, that's just that's ridiculous so so a roman guard was set yeah right or some would say temple guard i would i would argue roman guard because oh, if it was guard. if it was temple guard there would be no need to go to them and say if the Roman authorities have a mm-hmm. problem with this, we'll cover for you. Some will say a temple guard. Either way, it doesn't matter. There would they would the guard would be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you would be like, oh, there's no guard here at this empty tomb mm-hmm. um, that we were just at, you know, thirty hours ago. Yeah, people knew uh, where Jesus was buried. So the other problem with wrong tomb, other than obviously they would know, and 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 two the guards would have been there right. is three the the capacity for them to the jews to just show jesus body yeah if they were if they went to the wrong tomb mm-hmm. and yep. even started spreading this rumor based on a mistake all the jews have to do is be like bro what are you doing over there we're over here yeah this was, this was joseph of arimathea's tomb right open and, it up and be like here you go yeah everybody right. knew who owned the tomb where it was where Jesus was, yeah, there was there yeah. was no there was no mix up. Wrong wrong tomb theory might be, I, I want to say it's the worst, 
is bad. But the next three are bad. It's bad. They're all bad. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we're doing this. Uh, the second one is that the disciples stole the body. Okay, so here here's what is would be involved in this, just very briefly. So theoretically, uh, a handful of these disciples who were so scared when Jesus was arrested that they scattered mm-hmm. and wouldn't show their face. All of a sudden, they these plucky guys get up the courage to try and overcome trained Roman soldiers. Doubt it. Okay. No, that just no. would not happen. One trained, armored Roman soldier would be worth m- like multiple disciples. <laughs> like it, it just no you just they didn't do this then they, okay so they have to they have to overcome the guard um move the big stone and like overcome them without killing them because there was no like bodies of guards to be found right right so they just scared them away i mm-hmm. guess because the roman soldiers who are under threat mm-hmm. of death if right. they if they don't um, uphold their their guard duty then they grab the decaying body okay sure these jewish guys are going to get their hands all over this like decaying body on the sabbath on the sabbath hide it somewhere and then all go to their deaths uh, defending this lie. Right. Just no. Right. That's where you have even an agnostic scholar saying no. No, no, no. So Can't the other happen. the other one is like it. Someone else, maybe the Jewish authorities or the Roman authorities took it. But why? <laughs> so that they can have enemies? I, it yeah. just makes no sense. Like they, w- they would have no motivation to steal the body and then accuse the disciples of doing so. Mm-hmm. Like just, just keep it under guard or... Like it just doesn't make any sense, right? Like, but and yet it's been it's been well. Maybe maybe they took it for their own reasons. There's no there's no logical reason for that. Mm-hmm. The best place for Jesus' body to be, if you're the Roman establishment or the Jewish establishment, is in that tomb. Mm-hmm. Um, the swoon theory. Mm. Jesus wasn't dead. He just passed out. Right. Because nobody knows the difference. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Because the Romans didn't have like doctors. Uh, the Romans were efficient executioners. Right. They did this thing. This was their this was their job. And they were responsible to the authorities to carry out their task properly. They're professionals. Right. And and one one thing that we're doing here that you might notice, it, it would have been easy to to bring into the last conversation uh the Jews needing to go to the guards and say, Tell them this. Why would you say that if it was the truth? Mm-hmm. Or or to go here to the the stabbing of Jesus. This what I the reason I want to leave those out is because this just proves these things are are disprovable even without going to biblical record. Oh, yeah. They just don't make right? sense. Right? Swoon theory, one, like you said, this is what these guys do for a living. And they were excellent killing machines. Yeah. Right? Even if, which is a an unreasonable if. Yeah. Even if you have a man who was so broken that he couldn't even carry his own cross. Yeah. Who was placed on the execution, executioner's block, and hung there to the point that he could hardly breathe and everyone presumed him dead. Mm-hmm. Yet. Then they stabbed him with a spear. They impaled right. him with a spear. Even, even if we leave it out. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Believed to be dead. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> Placed in a tomb, mm-hmm. but somehow had the physical strength yeah. to not only get himself up off the bed, but to roll away a sealed stone, mm-hmm. either so secretively that the guards didn't notice, 
or to roll away the stone and then overcome the guards. Right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you believe that Jesus can do that, then you're actually arguing for the divinity of Christ still. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Because the only person who could do that is superhuman, right? That, so that it's in like, and of itself is so supernatural, it's like right? If, you're gonna, if, that's your, if that's your theory, then then Jesus is still God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, here's another one. Uh, it was all just a hallucination. Mm-hmm. Everyone just collectively had the same Because they were so grieved. <laughs> right. right. Right? They were so grieved. Uh, problem being, mm-hmm. although grieved people might dream mm-hmm. of a lost loved one, mm-hmm. it doesn't happen to everyone. No. Right? No. That it would lead to a hallucination mm-hmm. is a particularly intense case mm-hmm. of grief. Yeah. It happens. Some would, some would argue this is a particular, this is reason enough for a particularly intense Mm-hmm. grief but everyone yeah like so yeah. so so stricken stricken with this grief to the point of you would say temporary mental disorder mm-hmm. every follower of Jesus hit with the same level of grief mm-hmm. the same hallucination mm-hmm hearing the same message mm-hmm. because as these messages are recorded they're like no nah, it's not what he said he said this right right or no it wasn't there it was while we were over here right yeah that that all of the accounts although the details might be different as mm-hmm. you said before all of them can be harmonized mm-hmm. right just says you have everyone that was following Jesus most the, those who are following Jesus most intimately mm-hmm. all have the exact same hallucination with the same details, mm-hmm. hearing the same message, and follow up with the same empowered state. Yeah. Well, and the, it's yeah. too much. So that's true. That yeah, that's totally true in the sense that, like in those those individual instances. But what what actually adds to it mm-hmm. is that Jesus appears at various times right. in various places to various groups of people, mm-hmm. and they all look. So it's not just like there's one time where the twelve apostles or eleven or whatever are in a room and they're all like, "Oh, we all see Jesus." That alone is was like beyond beyond the norm way beyond the norm mm-hmm. but it's that no 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 there was there was the women in the garden there was um there was the instances of like Jesus appearing to some and then after Thomas shows up and then at by the sea of Galilee Along and then the to the road group, to the, two. the road to, on the road to Emmaus like so that in all of these instances and in all these groups of people in all these situations they all had the same hallucination that like Jesus mm-hmm. Jesus was there. that those people who were on the road to Emmaus mm-hmm were not so particularly tied that they would have that same level of grief. Right, right. They, they weren't yeah. named and known loved ones mm-hmm. intimately received. You know who else has this but has no grief? Paul. Right, yeah, that's what I mean. Paul has, Paul has zero grief. Yeah. He has celebration. Yeah. Yet he has the same kind of... of a revelation, mm-hmm. Christ revealing himself, appearing... To Paul, mm-hmm. Paul wasn't grieving. Yeah, right. So, yeah. so now you got to come up with another thing for <laughs> Paul, and and it just it creates such a complicated web. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, and there is uh, that it was a spiritual resurrection, not a physical one. Um, this, you know, 
was an was an early argument by some uh, again the Gnostics who kind of denied that God would ever submit himself to a physical body because mm-hmm. physical is bad, spiritual is good. Um, yeah, and, and that's that's a very much a worldview interpretation because yeah. they would also argue that Jesus never had never what really was physical. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but he was. I mean, from from scripture, the account, and like we said, the scripture is is a is a good historical document. He was physically touched. He ate and he drank on more than one occasion. Mm-hmm. And and further to that, Paul's arguments mm-hmm. are not. Uh, Paul's arguments don't allow for anything less than a physical re- resurrection because mm-hmm. his arguments to the church in Corinth are and and to Thessalonica. If this, if there is no physical raising of the body. Mm-hmm then what is all of this? Right, right. Right. Christ is the firstborn of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Right. And and there is there's no statement in that where there's plenty of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it would still make sense. Like you you could still have Christian theology almost as it stands mm-hmm. with a spiritual resurrection. Mm-hmm. It doesn't undermine everything. Um mm-hmm. yet it never teaches that. Right. 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 So it, it doesn't make sense to, to just go that way. Yeah. The the last one that I have on, on my list is just that um, it wasn't Jesus, right? It wasn't actually Jesus. I mean, and here's the thing, like, it's true that in a lot of these instances, they didn't recognize him at first, mm-hmm. right? So that is something that the, the Bible um, does say. Again, if you're, if you're making it up, that's not a detail you'd put in. Sure. Unless you're trying to just accurately record what happens. Right, um, and while that's true, they didn't continue to doubt it was him after he reveals himself to them. Right, and they see the scars. He speaks to them knowingly. Right, it's like it's not just some. It's not like Jesus went around doing his whole ministry, and meanwhile there's this like secret like body double that's just like waiting for him to be. You know what I mean? And they're mm-hmm. going to do a switch, right? And then at one point, like Jesus tells them, like he's like, I'm going to see you guys like in a place. I'm going to tell you and they go they end up in Galilee and then he appears to them in Galilee after they're fishing like that's just not if it was just some random dude just being like hey it's actually it's actually me like it just doesn't they, they would have figured that out pretty pretty darn right. quick so we let, we can chase this rabbit hole a little bit okay right? let's say that it's the wrong guy but that was the plan all along okay so Jesus is this false teacher right. that like recognizes this guy looks a little bit like him <laughs> and he's like I got an idea. We're going to do this thing. I'm going to get arrested and be put to death. And then you're going to tell everybody you or me. What do you think? And everyone around is like, that's hilarious. And then what? And then you all die for telling that story. Right. Right. It still comes back and to that. Everyone in the everyone in the room was like, I'm in. I'm in. This is hilarious. Thousands of years later. Oh, man. Thousands of years later in unknown lands, people will still be telling this story. Yeah. Right. Uh, so that's that's one option for the wrong guy theory. The other option is that like more like what you were suggesting, right? That some guy just kind of figured out that he kind of looked like Jesus, and uh, <laughs> Jesus dies and he pops up and he's like, "Baba, hey everybody, remember that guy that everyone hated so much that they killed him? I'm him. Yeah, and I can also walk through walls, right? <laughs> I'm and I have holes in my hands and in my side and in my feet. Just so happens if." If you resembled a man who had just been executed, right. chances are you don't want to be associated right. as that man, right? Right. 
No one ever, no one ever, who would ever look at like a police drawing of a wanted criminal and be like, that guy kind of looks like me. I'm going to dress up. I'm going to tell everybody it is. It'll be amazing. Oh, man. Like, everybody's going to be like, oh, this is the guy. He even said so. Yeah. And then I'll be like, nah, not really. Right. Yeah. And, and then after that, like, what happens to this guy? Mm-hmm. No, right. I so know. even, I even know. if he did convince. Mm-hmm. Why would he stick mom, around? He Why? convinces his, his own mom, his brother, his brother, <laughs> and his best friends. I know. He does. This guy's incredible, <laughs> right? He convinces them all, but they record. Yeah. He then ascends into heaven. Yeah. He takes off rather than like milking this thing, right? And like act. <laughs> so let's just assume that. He pulls like off this incredible, hey, everybody look over there. Right. And then hides behind a rock. Right. Right. And they're all like, whoa, where did he go? I don't know. Maybe he went up into heaven. <laughs> then you still have an angel coming down and saying, what are you doing? He, you'll, what are you doing? He'll, you'll find him. He'll come back in the same way that he <laughs> right, left. Right, right. Right. He even brought this guy along, brought this guy in 20 bucks. And, and the guy was down for it. A denaria. Oh, and he, the guy's man. down for it. And so to what end? Right. Like now you run off and you're like, I got this joke that I told. Right. Why wouldn't you just milk that to the end? And sure. Be like raise me up as a king and yeah. kingdom and, and all it. this kind of stuff. Yeah. Let's keep running with this. It just just to slip off into nowhere. It, no. it doesn't make any sense. It's weird. The the last one that I would add to it mm. is uh the argument no credible historical record gets thrown in there. Oh. You only have the Christian record. You can see the last few mm-hmm. and every other comment that we've had mm-hmm. about this to say everything that they said was easily refutable mm-hmm. in real time. Yep. Even given late dates, it's still real time enough to be refuted. Yeah. There's so many people mentioned. You could just go on to the guy and be like, did this happen? They'd be like, no, it didn't. Yeah. Right. Uh, they, they'll argue that they're not credible because of conflict in the gospel. Right. Uh, one gospel says that Mary was there. One gospel says that two Marys were there. One gospel says that it was a small group of women. Um, <laughs> one gospel says that there was were two angels. One gospel says that there was an angel. All that comes down to which details you find most important, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If I wanted to tell Lindsay, hey, guess what? So-and-so was at church this morning. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that nobody else was at church this morning. <laughs> it means that someone who just happened to pop into mind for whatever significant reason right. that is relevant in my telling of the story to Lindsay mm-hmm. was at church this morning. Yeah. Right? It, it doesn't ha- you don't have to list every person there by name. Yeah. That's, that's silly. It, it's not a conflict, mm-hmm. right? If there were two angels or two dozen angels, but one of them spoke, well, then you're just going to be like, and the angel that was there said mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. right? Uh, these, these aren't conflicts. Yeah. Right? Uh, the, other thing, the other thing is just the story that they tell is so embarrassing. Like of course. personally embarrassing. Of course. Yeah. Through all the Gospels, no one in creating a religion or a religious movement says, look at the fool that I was mm-hmm. and still am, mm-hmm. but he, right? 
the just like the Jews in the Old Testament, the apostles in retelling the stories in the New Testament and recording those stories, there is only one hero. Mm-hmm. And it's never them. Right. <laughs> and yep. if you're trying to gain something from false accounts or even broken accounts, there has to be gain. Yep, for sure. For sure. And so where we end up is that the only the only viable option in in, in examining the resurrection historically is that it happened. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why some don't believe is because they have a worldview that doesn't allow them to believe. Right. So these these the Willful the scholars and the historians who refuse to acknowledge it or who say, well, something significant happened, but we can't, we're not going to plant our flag and say it was a resurrection is just because they've committed themselves to a, a way of understanding the universe that doesn't allow for things like that to happen mm-hmm. despite the evidence. So who is the one who is believing something contrary to the evidence? Is it the right. Christian or is it the person who's looked at these things and says, I still continue to not believe? Right, because even if they wanted to say people don't just raise from the dead like this, mm-hmm. I'd say sure. Yeah, of I'm, course. I'm. That's what makes it special. I agree with you. Right. <laughs> the argument is not that it happens. The argument is that it happened. Yeah. Right. And all of those people, most intimately connected, why, rather either for or against, seem to have responded in such a way as to prove that it happened. Mm. Right? When they had opportunity to disprove that it happened, it was talked about early enough that there was still available real time evidence that could have been employed, but never was. Right? So then the burden of proof, and this is very important, Christian, the burden of proof is not on you. Yeah. The burden of proof is on someone who says, Despite the historical record and the logical reasoning, I still believe that it didn't take place. That's fine. That's your, that's your position. What you need to do is you need to explain two things. One, what did take place, mm-hmm. right, as a, a reasonable charge. Sure. Not just an I don't know but something, mm-hmm. right? Uh, what did take place as a, a reasonable charge against— and two, why were the apostles empowered and emboldened after the resurrection if what you say was true, mm-hmm. right? And, and then that needs to stand, right? The refutations against are, are poor. Even, even if you wanted to say the evidence is for which I don't think you can argue against the evidences for, obviously. If you just want to take other options of the refutations, none of them are good. Mm-hmm. None of them make sense. If you were writing a fiction novel and you came to me with any of these points, take take the whole religious faith and the Son of God and salvation of my soul and all that kind of stuff out of it. If you were just writing a fiction novel and you're like, here's the plot twist, I'm going to be like, this is terrible. It's mm. a terrible plot twist because it doesn't make any sense. Mm. Right? Like your story doesn't work. Right? I mean, that doesn't mean it won't become a blockbuster film. <laughs> but we all know what it's like to watch that blockbuster film and you're just like, that. no, that doesn't, 
makes sense. Yeah. That's a strange plot twist. Mm-hmm. And, and these would be too. Anything else you want to throw in? Nope, I'm good. All right. Well, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource in Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with Gospel Coalition Canada, produced by Alex Walker. See you next time. See you then.